0: This morning I want to call your attention to John 17. As we finish a prayer that Jesus prayed on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. The last couple weeks we've talked about, uh, on Wednesday a week and a half ago, we talked about Jesus in Gethsemane. That was another prayer, prayed after this. And then we talked about the Cross and the resurrection. So we're going back a little bit, but I did not finish that prayer when I originally went through it. And this is a communion Sunday, and having read the rest of the prayer several times and looking it over, it really is a good time just to sit and fellowship over what Christ really prayed for us. And this part of the prayer, he's telling, he's asking God to do something with his disciples and also with us, who will be the future believers in the message of the apostles and what we're expected to do as well. So I just want us to fellowship in the word this morning as we look at this particular prayer. It was prayed after he had talked to his disciples in the upper room after they had the last Passover and Judas has left. And he's telling them in plain words something he's already told them prior to this. He says, I am leaving. I'm going, I'm going back to heaven. The disciples who had fellowshiped with him for three years were very disappointed. (coughs) We're going to miss him. Can you imagine spending three years in the physical presence of Jesus Christ? Now, to some people that probably would say, oh man, that would be boring. But not to you if you love him, and you saw his watch care, and you felt his presence, and you heard him speak, and you saw what kind person he was. This was a big disappointment to them. And so, for only one brief moment, they actually saw the glory of Jesus because he was veiled for the most part. He looked like any other man. The Bible says in John 1 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. They saw that and they enjoyed that presence. Now he's praying because he's going to leave them And he's going to leave them in a world that hates Jesus Christ. There's no other word for it. You really can't tone that down. Hate in all of its ugliness is what the world thinks of Jesus Christ. They don't mind him if he's a teacher. And they don't mind him if he's a good man and left a good example. But they don't like the fact that he was sent from God because we are all sinners and we all need to repent and place our faith and trust in christ that puts them over the edge and in john 15 90, jesus said if you were of the world the world would love its own but because you are not of the world but i chose you out of the world because of this the world hates you a friend, you can't be a friend of God and a friend of the world at the same time. I think in light of what we're seeing in our own country, uh, just this last 24 hours, we had people shot in Alabama, we had people shot again in Louisville, and it's almost getting to be a daily thing that multiple murders are taking place, let alone the abortions, we're not even counting them. That are taking place Uh, what has happened and what is the Christian testimony in these days what happened to the testimony of the church where is it where is the influence of believers in our country where it once had some sort of testimony we're beginning this with uh, our study this morning and walking through this in verse 12 of John 17 and we're looking at specifically at John 12 and 13 and we see Jesus request for joy in the ministry and we see his specific request for joy in verse 12. He says, but now I've come to you. These things I speak in the world so that they may have joy made full in themselves. You know, I'm leaving them in an ugly world. I'm leaving them in a real tough ministry. But I want them to have joy while they're down here, speaking of his apostles and eventually us. Yes, the ministry is not an easy place. It's gonna have persecution, and it's gonna have its difficulties, and it faces the arch enemy of Satan, but I want you to have joy. And I'm talking not about a youth for Christ type joy, ha, ha, hee, I'm talking about an inner peace and an inner joy. Like Paul had in Philippians when he said this. I say rejoice, and again I say rejoice. And where was Paul? He was in prison. And yet he had an inner peace and an inner joy, and that's what Jesus really wants for us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we see his joy. It says in Hebrews 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Think about that. He considered it joy, inner joy, to go to the cross for what purpose? For you and me. He paid that price, and he was willing to pay that price for our redemption he didn't have to he volunteered and he went in obedience to the Lord and in obedience to their plan of salvation he had joy he endured the cross he despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God and that source of joy in verse 14 I have given them your word the world has hated them but because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. We're not of this world. We have his word, we don't have his presence. We have the word and we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. But you and I have got to realize the world hates us. It hates us, it doesn't like us. And they may cover it over with smiles and with tears and of joy, supposedly, but we are different. We're followers of Jesus Christ. And so, the source of the joy has to come from the Word of God. It's the Word of God that teaches us how to live in this world, how to handle our difficulties, how to make decisions, and when we know that, and we know God is in charge, and being encouraged that God is in charge of this world, we can have joy, and we can face the end. Talking to some people who had just having new babies in our church, and uh, one person said, boy, I don't know what they're going to face. I don't either. But I can tell you this. As long as we're in this world, and God has kept us here, and God has... Ahead head of the church, you will be safe and you will go to the end. You can trust God on that. You can trust God on that. He'll protect you through it and he'll give you joy in the midst of tribulation. He also will not only that, but Jesus prayed for protection from the devil. Look at verse 15. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one." Jesus is going back to heaven. His 11 disciples are staying behind. And he says, my prayer is, don't take them out of the world. Keep them there, but keep them from the evil one. Now, I think this is personified to the devil and also to uh, the God of this age. Who rules and reigns there. In other words we it came up in Sunday school. If you're really going to walk with the Lord. You're going to face the devil right. But we have Jesus Christ. Who protects us from the devil. In 1 Peter. Chapter 5 verse 8 it says this. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary. The devil. Prowls around like a roaring lion. Lion seeking someone to devour. He's always out there. He's always in the bush. He's always behind a tree. He's ready to pounce at any moment. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. I should have read uh, verse 7. You know what verse 7 says? Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Little Literal Greek would say, casting all your care upon him because it is a care to him. Your problems are a concern to the almighty God who created every molecule and control of every molecule, control of the vast universe from the largest to the smallest, he cares for you. And he cares about your cares. He's concerned about what is a problem to you. He's concerned about the difficulties to you. He's concerned about that. And when you cast your cares upon him, it really helps to be of a sober spirit and not let the cares drag you down. Because the devil would love to take a defeated Christian, loves them. And he even makes it worse. <laughs> then he reminds, he speaks to God, and he says, they're not of the world, as I'm not of the world. The disciples were one with Christ. And so their citizenship is not in this world, even though we live in it. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians 3, verse 20 Where Peter, or where Paul, yeah. Paul writes upon this, and he talks to us about it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. It's in the New Testament. He says, for our citizenship is in where? Heaven. From which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our true citizenship, folks, is in heaven. There's an old gospel song that was sung, a lot of quartets sang it, southern gospel type corsets. This world is not my home, I'm why. Just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. That's where our treasures ought to be. That's where our seeking ought to be, in glory. We're not taking anything out of this world with us. We all know that. We don't see hearses pulling U-Haul trailers. They go, everything is left behind. The thing that really matters is our service to the Lord. He is our king. He is not only our king, he's our Lord, and he's our future husband. We're going to be living with him forever. There's where our citizenship is. Uh, A thousand years from now, where will you be? Anybody know? Where? Heaven, yeah. Well, that took a long time. (laughs) You're going to be in heaven a thousand years. What's 80, 90 years here compared to a thousand? Where will you be five thousand years from now? Heaven. How about a hundred thousand years from now? Heaven. Million. Heaven. The longer you're in heaven, the shorter this time here appears. And even you've lived long enough to know that, you know, I lived in uh, high school. And there were certain people that impressed me and I tried to impress them. Uh, 60 years later, I couldn't care less about whether I impressed them or not. They, didn't, they don't mean that much to me about impressing. Can you imagine that you're living your life right now to impress somebody? And you're living right now and you're worried about what somebody thinks and what somebody might think of you. A thousand years from now, what'll I, what'll I be? Oh, I can't get over how they thought about me in 2023. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's our future home. And we can't be so heavenly minded that we're no physically good down here. But we need to recognize that we are just passing through. We're just passing through. First Peter 2.11, take a look at that one. And he reminds us again of the very same thing. First Peter chapter two, verse 11. It's our communion here with the Lord that really counts. Peter says this in this uh, second chapter and 11th verse. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. A lot of the desires that come from the world and a lot of desires that our flesh loves, we need to remember we're not citizens here. We're strangers. People treat us as strangers. People treat us as aliens, aliens. In verse 17, he requests the holiness. He says, sanctify them in truth, for your word is truth. The word sanctify is the word hagiazo, which comes from a family of words that refer to holiness, to separateness. That we are to be separate from the world. First or second Corinthians chapter six, verse 14 and following. It says, come out from among them and be separate. What fellowship has Christians with things that are of the devil? I think COVID gave us an example of that. We all were to quarantine ourselves, wear a mask, and stay away from anybody that might have COVID. And people didn't come to church because there might be COVID in church. And so even uh, we for a while said, well, we can't have risk of COVID for, for a couple months. I think we even shut down. Probably retrospect, we wouldn't. But anyway, we did to obey the government And we we wanted not to have that contagious, infectious disease. Well, look at the world. It is a disease. And I wouldn't advise going into a place that is so saturated with the world that it would tempt you. Avoid those places. And avoid those things in the world that would cause us to slip. I've used this before. You don't want to take a person that is... Uh, uh, alcoholic or a drunkard and take him into a liquor store to buy a Coke. You avoid places that cause you to live and look like the world. And wouldn't you say that one of the problems we have in evangelical fundamental churches is that the, we can hardly tell the believers from the world Do the same thing, talk the same thing, act the same way. So, what's going to set us apart? What's going to make us different? Well, he gives it in in this passage. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is true, it's the word of God daily implanted. Daily believe that keeps and makes that separation. And it keeps that separation going. It's this book right here. Are you in it? I saw a, uh, or I guess uh, my wife read me uh, a survey that was taken. And of evangelical believers, how many people were in the word? It was pathetically low. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but how many of you are in the word on a daily basis? Or is it kind of spasmodic when you think about it? Study to show yourself approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. Remember Jesus said when facing the devil, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. 2 Timothy 2, or 3, verse 16, every word is God breathed and is profitable. I may not agree totally with a speaker we had last time. I think you need to read all the words. I think you need to read from Genesis all the way. I just read this morning in Joshua where my reading is, and it talked about all of the areas that were yet untaken and all the areas that Moses had allotted to the children of Israel. And it had a list of names that I could hardly pronounce. And my temptation was, skip it. You ever had those temptations? I did. And do. And then I thought, it's all profitable. It's all profitable. In some way, God the Spirit uses it to build up my own faith. It's all profitable. Romans 8, verses 3 to 4. Romans 8, 3 to 4 the truth is God's Word and it comes from God who is truthful are you listening to the news do you think you're getting a bunch of lies I mean can we stand up and say we don't have a border problem when you see hundreds walking across the river can you say Everything is good and the economy's good when, man, look at my grocery bill. Are they telling us the truth? I don't know. I don't think so. But I can tell you this, everything you read in this is true. And it has stood the test of time. And it will stand the test of time. It's eternal. Know it. Romans 8 3 says for what the law could not do weak as it was through the flesh God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit you know if you're going to walk according to the law you're going to be defeated none of us can keep the law nobody ever has except christ not even the greatest of christians has kept the law so how do we how do we uh, please god we walk by the spirit and he internally causes us to keep the law i don't steal just because it says thou shalt not steal i don't steal because god the holy spirit has taught me my new nature it's wrong And I fulfill the law by getting into his word and letting the spirit of God change my heart. Or I don't lie or gossip or do any of those sins that are disrespectful and God hates. Then in verses 18 and 19, Jesus prays that, uh, for the purpose that we are in the world. He said, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God sent his son into the world to save us. Now he's sending us into the world. Jesus was sent in the world to reveal God's redemptive plan. Now his disciples have this call as well as we as well. In John 530, we read, I can do nothing on my own initiative as I hear I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. We're in an ugly, dirty, rotten world, but we have a mission in this world. And that mission is to declare God's will to this world. Acts one eight, you will receive power from the when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. It was brought up again uh, this morning in our Sunday school. We are witnesses of God to this world that denies Him. We're to be witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And we're in the remotest part of the earth, by the way. How far, you can't get much further away from Jerusalem than we are. Somebody was telling me that, uh, I read read an email and says, I'm in western Kansas, uh, God's forsaken land. You know, that's what people think of Nebraska. In fact, I was in the Haymarket years ago before I ever moved up here, and I was just browsing around when the Haymarket was just kind of getting going, and there was a kind of a tourist store, touristy store there, and there was a sweatshirt that said, If you come to Nebraska, bring something to do. And we even advertise, don't we? We're not for everybody. We're not for everybody. So we're in the remote parts of the earth, and we have the responsibility to share the Word of God to the remote part of the earth. That's Nebraska. I love the state. I grew up here. I'm fond of the state. But by the same token, by the same token, we have a responsibility to reach our neighbors for Christ, as tough as that might be. Even so, he said, I sent them into the world. And then he says, for their sake, I sanctify myself that they themselves might also be sanctified in the truth. This has caused some trouble because Jesus didn't need sanctification. The word again, hagiadzo, simply means separate. Jesus did not sin, so he doesn't have to be separate from his sin, but he was separate for the purpose He was separate to come and to die on the cross. He separated himself for us. He separated himself to do the Father's bidding. Your will be done. So when Jesus says, for their sake I sanctified myself, it seems in light of the context to be taken in the sense that he separated himself to minister to them his apostles unto us, so that the disciples could be sanctified in truth. After all, he is truth. He set himself apart for this ministry. So the sanctification of believers involves Christ's sacrifice for our sins. He did that. If he separated himself for us, how much more should we separate ourselves from Him? How can we, as believers in Christ, think that we can serve Christ if we want or if we don't? When we're following a Savior who is God, who had all of the claims of being God, for He is God, He is in fact the Creator, gave Himself for us, How can we nonchalantly say, well, I'll serve him when I feel like it, or I won't serve him at all? How in the world can we do that? Who are we, finite, puny, little creatures on a little planet in the middle of the universe that God visited, created, chose us, How can we stand and say, well, if I want to serve him, I'll serve him, if I don't, I don't. It's my will versus his. That's incongruous. Then he he prays for the future believers here in verses 20 to the rest of the chapter. And the prayer is, I do not ask on behalf of these, the disciples alone, these 11, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that is the disciples' word. That's us. We believe because the disciples faithfully served the Lord, wrote down the scriptures, we saw the scriptures, we were convicted by the Holy Spirit, we yielded ourselves to Christ in repentance and faith, and we are answers to this prayer. 2,000 years ago were answers to that prayer. They proclaimed the message in the world. They were enabled by the Holy Spirit who came and dwelt with them and in them. They proclaimed the word, and we affirmed the message when we believed. You ever think about that? We believe, the word of men who spoke 2,000 years ago and we dedicate ourselves to their word. Now here's the prayer. That they may be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. So that the world may believe that you sent me. What was the problem with Jesus walking on this earth? He said, I and the Father are one. What what was the Jews' reaction? Stone him. We do not believe that God sent Jesus Christ. That was the issue. He performed miracles that nobody could perform. He performed unbelievable things. Feeding of 5,000 men plus women and children. 15,000 maybe, maybe more. Not only that once, but he fed 4,000 men plus women and children. Whoever heard of somebody laying their hands on somebody and a man born blind live, cease. Or a paralytic walks or a deaf man, hears. Or a man dead four days, lives. This is a unique person. He's from God and the world rejected him. They don't believe he's from God. I think faith read me that. uh, I wish I'd have remembered how, what the percentage was of the preachers that are preaching today when asked about the deity of Jesus Christ, how few there were. And many wouldn't even answer it on the survey. He is Christ. That is our message. You ever read in the Bible where it says, every eye will see him? You think that's true? I think it's true. Every person who's ever lived will see past, present, and future will see Jesus Christ is exactly who God said he is. You can make that affirmation now, or you will make it later. It's either or. And you know what you're going to say? He is what? Lord. He's Lord. Lord. He says, I do not ask them alone, but for those who believe in me, that they also may be one even as you and and I are one. How close is God the Father and God the Son? If you studied the Trinity at all? They're two persons, but they're exactly the same in essence. And he says that they may be one even as you, Father, are in me and I and you, that they may also be in us. Wow. We are part, as finite creatures, one with the infinite Son of God and God the Father and the Holy Spirit. How close is that? You can't get any closer to God the Son and God the Father than when you're a believer and believe in him. Positionally. So that the world may believe that you sent me. That's what I want. I want them, the ones who are going to believe, the f- disciples, now us, to know that we are part of his followers, we are one with them. That's not only just a positional unity, but he wants it as well. We talked about it in Sunday school. That a local church, when operating biblically, believing the scriptures, literally, is the closest representative of Christ in a community that you can get. That's why it's important. God has given the church all the gifts, as we read in, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. God has given these gifts that if all of us, let's say this morning, we're functioning as we ought to function with the gifts that God has given to us, we represent Christ in this community. If we're one. Now we're going to take communion in a few minutes. And when you take communion, communion, you know what you're saying to one another? I'm in communion with God. I've taken care of the sin in my life. I'm not having some hang-on sin like bitterness. I don't have some hang-on sin like jealousy. I'm dealing with it right here and now. You don't have to come up here and walk on hot coals. You don't have to come up here and plead and beg. All you have to do is what? If we confess, name our sin, he is able to what? Forgive us. Do you know what that means? It's over. If you forgive somebody who owes you $1,000 and you say, I forgive the debt, what does that mean? That guy doesn't own the debt. You took took the price of that debt, right? That $1,000 you took upon yourself, that was your loss. When Jesus took his sins upon ourselves, what did he do? He paid what we should have paid. He paid it. And we have forgiveness. You don't have to carry that bitterness on. You can end it right now this morning or jealousy or hatred or unloving whatever it is we can do that this morning and if we operate in communion oneness with one another we have an impact York County Merritt County and all the other counties we represent Jesus Christ in this community And what a powerful witness it could be. I think many communities have yet to see a powerful church that believes God and moves by faith, walks by faith, and serves Christ. They have yet to see what can be done. This is not like a 4-H club. This is not like a rotary club. This is a living organism this is a living body that has power generated by the Holy Spirit like I told the church there's been times I've been in a church as his pastor I thought I don't want anybody coming in here right now we got some things to clean up here we got some things we got to straighten out as a body But why been in churches and one like this, that is functioning like it ought to, and we see people coming in in spite of it. I wonder where in the world are these people coming from? And why are they coming? When the church represents Jesus Christ as audio, it becomes a very powerful tool in the community. And it helps your personal witness, as well as a collective corporate witness of the body. Gives you confidence when you walk out And you talk to people about Jesus Christ when you're backed by a group of believers who love you and are willing to serve you and are willing to stand with you in opposition to the evil one when he attacks. That's the oneness here. This is not ecumenical oneness where all the churches get together no matter what they believe. They all get together and sing kumbaya. That is not the unity we're talking about here. Look what happens, Acts 2, 46 to 47. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who adds to the church in this passage? The Lord. The Lord. He adds to the church, day by day. And then his prayers for eternal fellowship. Father, he says in verse 24, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, and we're that group, be with me where I am so they may see the glory which you've given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. The son desires from his father that the children whom the father gave to him be with him. We have five, we have five children and uh, with it, four of them live somewhere else. And we desire their fellowship. We look forward to their fellowship when we're with them, don't you? And... And the further away we are from him, the more we desire it. The son desires from his father the children whom he gave us. Now, you ever think about this verse in this way? He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, be with me where I am. Where is Jesus right now? In heaven. What does that mean? He wants you in heaven. So when a believer dies, it's an answer to this prayer. Right? It's an answer to his prayer. Because Jesus wants you and me to be with him where he is. So death is the only way we are going to get there. You can't take a train to heaven. You can't take a plane to heaven. The only way to get there right now to heaven is for us to lay this body in the grave and go directly to heaven. Shut your eyes down here. You open them up and you see the welcoming hand of Jesus Christ. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil. Why? You're with me. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I mean, I'm not looking forward to dying right now, but should that happen, praise God. Like the army chaplain preaching to a bunch of recruits, and he said, how many of you want to go to heaven? Raise your hand. And a voice came back, you mean right now? I have made known, in verse 26, I have made known your name to them, and they'll make it known, so that the love which you love me may be in them, and I in you. I guess I overlooked verse 25, O righteous Father, although the world has not known me or has not known you, yet I've known you, and these have known you that you sent me. Righteous Father. I love that, don't you? Earlier in verse 5, he called him Holy Father. Here he calls him Righteous Father. You know what that means? Everything that God does is right and just and perfect. We see one little piece of the gigantic puzzle and we try to figure everything out from that one little piece. It doesn't even look like it fits the puzzle. But God sees the whole thing. So his actions and the way he leads us are much different than the way we could see them at all. He's right in what he does. He's just in what he does. People go to hell. He's just. They sinned against him. They paid the penalty. He's fair. Quite frankly, if he were fair with all of us, without his love, we'd all go to hell. We've all sinned enough. <sighs> Yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. We believe he's from God. And you know what I like about this? It says, uh, last verse, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Chapter 15 of John really spells this out and it says this God loves us, and Jesus loves us as much as they love each other this is not a second grade love this is a full blown divine love that God loves us that's unbelievable that's incomprehensible to me when I look at my own life why would God love me why would God the god of the universe the son who spoke the words of creation come to this earth to individually die for us personally he knows your name he knows who you are psalm 139 i know when you sit down i know when you rise up I know how many strokes you brush your teeth with. I know everything about you. And I love you like I love my own son. That's incomprehensible. That's why Paul could say this, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me Whew. can you say that in this communion service can you say I have been crucified with Christ no longer I live I'm not living for my own it's not my will it's his will whatever he wants me to do and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith I trust him to take care of me I trust him to work out the details of my life I trust him to get me out of the dark spot I trust him to get me out of the jam I got my own self into and work it out Don't you think of the brothers of Joseph who sold their own brother into slavery? And the brother they sold into slavery was his very same brother who got him out of it. I'm forgiven. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand for prayer. While our men while we're standing and praying our men who are pass out the elements for communion will be coming up here and prepare themselves for that particular service father we want to walk with you we we confess that our walk sometimes has not been very pretty we confess father that we've lost our temper and We confess, Lord, that we've said things that we should not have said. We confess, Father, that we played around with a temptation way more than we should have. And we confess, Lord, that we overlooked some things that were very important. And we confess, Father, that it's not always been pretty, but are we so thankful, Father, that you forgive us that Christ's death on a cross was sufficient enough to pay for every sin we ever committed or will commit. And so we come and confess our sin because you have given us forgiveness and we wanna make it right with you and have fellowship with you. Thank you, Father, and as we take the elements this morning, may it be a reminder to us, Lord, of the price you paid that we can have communion with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.